and the reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting at verse 13. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us to you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Shall I pray for us for a moment? <clears throat> Dear Lord, we pray that uh, as we look at this passage, that you would um, help us to apply that to our lives today, um, that you would uh, speak to each of us as we uh, think it through. In Jesus' name, amen. And uh, you, you probably have guessed that I'm now that a holiday in holiday at St Mary's has been a Mediterranean cruise. Basically, uh, we have spent three days pretending that we're on a cruise in the Mediterranean. Um, and I've got to say that once or twice, uh, I was always convinced myself, really. Uh, there's been a lot of relaxing and uh, eating and some entertainment thrown in. Uh, Tim, uh, who did the sketch there, Tim was looked and sounded more like a ship's captain each day. In fact, some of the ladies took a bit of a shine to him. <laughs> and of course, the weather has been decidedly Mediterranean. Uh, if we could have only got the building to pitch and sway about a bit, we might have convinced everybody, but maybe, uh, maybe not. It's been a good week, and uh, each day from this spot we've given a short talk, and in those talks we've been taking a look at Paul's journey uh, around the Mediterranean. To be honest, we've somewhat tenuously uh, tried to link our cruise with Paul's journey uh, around those areas. And of course he did go to what is now Turkey, Greece and Italy, and he did do that in a boat, but about, about far from that, that's not much. In front of we looked at this journey uh, across the three days, uh, and his experience, it's looked less and less like a cruise each time. Uh, let me illustrate this to you. Uh, we looked at three stories from the book of Acts. In Lystra, which is, would now be in Turkey, Acts 14, Paul caused the big stir by healing someone, only then to encounter such opposition that the crowd actually stoned him uh, and left him for dead. In Philippi, Acts 16, which now is in Greece, more opposition resulted in being stripped and publicly flogged before being thrown into prison and put in stocks. Then the third one, as a prisoner on his way to Rome in Acts 27, his boat... Uh, was involved in a huge storm and ran aground on Malta. Now, I think if you're a neutral here, you may be asking yourself, did it ever cross this man's mind that he might be going wrong somewhere? <coughs> Has he ever sat back and looked at this for a moment and thought, you know what, 
blow this for a game of Skittles. Maybe I'll just stay put and put my feet up and uh, keep my mouth shut and do a spot of tent making or something. Well, it's helpful for us that in the New Testament, we have several letters from Paul to the churches that he visited. And in those letters, he does often pause and reflect upon what's going on and upon his ministry. And in this passage that we had read to us from the, uh, from the letter to the Corinthians, second letter, he does do just that. He thinks about what his motives are. And he contemplates his own suffering, his own mortality, and the cost of continuing to do what he's been doing. So let's look at that for a moment. So first, his motives. First motive is that he has faith. He quotes from Psalm 116, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, he says. He spoke out of conviction. He believes what he's telling them. He can testify to the Lord's deliverance many, many times over. The Lord delivered him from death. Take just those three instances that I just uh, talked to you about. He was not killed, though stoned. And in fact, he actually then walked back into Lystra, which was an incredibly brave thing to do. In the second instance, he was miraculously released from the prison. And the jailer who had been watching over him and his whole family then became Christians. In Malta, he was saved. He and all the whole ship were saved from the wreck, as had been promised that he would be. And he was then able to reach Rome and to speak about the Lord Jesus there. So he has first-hand experience of being delivered from death and then seeing God work wonderfully through those events, that experience. But his faith and his conviction is ultimately expressed in verse 14. <clears throat> because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead and also, will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. Note that in that, there is no question about the truth of this. We know Jesus has been raised. He assumes that all people will know that, the truth of that, and will know that historically that has happened. And it was not just he, of course, who was convinced all the apostles knew it, were convinced to such an extent that they would face suffering and death rather than keep quiet about it. I have believed, therefore I have spoken. How could he do otherwise? If that were true, what else is anything like as important? So that's his first motive. Second motive is his passion for the glory of God in verse 15. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. He wanted more and more people to experience the knowledge of this truth, to know what it is to receive the grace of God, to be set free from the burden of guilt and the fear of death, or the fear of what may lay beyond death, that people would be changed, and as he had been, 
from the slavery of trying to make their own way, trying to earn their own salvation. Instead, to know the saving power of the risen Jesus, as was illustrated in that struggle in the sketch. He longed to see people who at one time did not acknowledge acknowledge God, hardly even gave him a second thought, become those who rejoiced with thanksgiving at being set free to the glory of God, to overflow. And Paul saw many examples of that happening, including the jailer. Now let me read that story to you. It's from Acts 16. You don't have to look it up if you don't want to. Acts 16, and I'm speaking from verse 27. So what's happened in this jail where he is, is that an earthquake has shaken the whole building such that the doors have fallen open and the chains that were fixed to the walls have come free. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What a brilliant question. They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptised. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. That's what motivated Paul, those two things. He had faith and he saw that sort of thing happening to the glory of God. So he says, verse 16, um, Therefore we do not lose heart. He is therefore thinking about the cost. He said what motivates him. Now he considers what the cost is, where this will all end for him. In answer to our earlier question, then, has he considered this? Yes, he quite obviously has. And he recognises the physical cost. And in this letter, he acknowledges his own approaching death. And this is what he concludes. Verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. We all at times are faced with uh, thinking about where our life is headed. Like Paul, we are all on a journey. Uh, life is a journey. And I don't imagine there are many of you here who think of it as being like a cruise. But like any journey, I guess we need to consider what our final destination will be. My son and I went to hear an American singer-songwriter called Ben Foles uh, the other day in the Anvil. And I really like some of his music, and this is a, a line from one of his songs. <clears throat> Sometimes I get the feeling that I won't be on this planet for very long. I really like it here. I'm quite attached to it. I hope I'm wrong. 
It seems from this letter that Paul knows that he isn't long for this life. And he knows he isn't wrong. Now you think, perhaps, that this is a little harsh to start talking about wasting away uh, when we've just done a week for people who are over 60. Um, Many of us uh, need no reminding of the ageing process that we're wasting away. We're only too aware of it, thank you very much. But here's the thing. People have often criticised Christians for having their head in the clouds and not facing what is really happening around them. Too heavenly minded to be any earthly good, is how the saying goes. But just think about this for a minute. We live in a society where the emphasis is on youth, you know, to extend what we, um, to the extent, sorry, that even when we're old, we have to uh, pretend like we're young, uh, appear like we're young. Oh, you look so young. I don't know, say that to me, but maybe they do. You know. <laughs> So we sort of pretend that we're young and we know what the young people are into and all this sort of stuff. And hence maybe there is this big drive, isn't there, to, uh, to be keeping physically in shape, you know, to eat the right things, keep ourselves fit, active, young, looking and healthy. Paul says we're outwardly wasting away. Now let me ask you, who is being more real here? Who's not facing reality? Now I realise... There are quite a few people here who uh, work in the medical profession and uh, I could be in a bit of trouble by saying or implying that keeping healthy isn't good. I mean, that is good, isn't it? Uh, Keep yourself healthy as long as you like, as you can. It's not pointless, it's a good thing. But surely there has to be at some point some realism in this. Because we can't kid ourselves that we're going to win this. You're not going to win against ageing and what follows. I had a friend when I was 17. Been looking for another one since. (laughs) (laughs) Not really. (laughs) Well, not quite. And and I I chatted with this friend. uh, uh, At that stage, I wasn't a Christian. He was definitely wasn't. And uh, we're talking about death. And uh, uh, so I said, "Well, do you not believe in God?" Then he said, "No." And I said, "Well, um." What do you, what, how do you view death and what's going to happen? And he said, well, well, what he hoped was that science would find a way by which time he re- reached the age when he might die, would have found a way to cure it. <laughs> well, science has advanced a lot since I was 17, 40 plus years, but I wouldn't have said it's in the direction that my friend was hoping for. Paul says, yes. We are wasting away in the body we now inhabit, but inwardly, something else is happening. If we are trusting ourselves to Christ, he says, he is building something new. We are being renewed. That's not in the sense that we're being healed physically, but rebuilt. And we see it by faith. I believe we can sort of sense that God is doing something in us. And what he says is when we pass from this life, then we will have a new body that's not subject to the corruption that we now are subject to. And even now he is working. Uh, Work is happening, though we don't see it. The vine, uh, you know, the National Trust building, the vine, 
uh, had the roof redone, you probably, a lot of you know about it, and uh, it was all shrouded in uh, scaffolding and uh, hessian over, lots of the stuff to keep out the cold. Um, wouldn't have to do that now. Uh, so hessian and scaffolding. And, but when they took all of that off, then the new building would be, uh, the new restored building would be revealed. That's what we are like. So we, it will be for those who are in Christ, when this body is removed, when the scaffolding, when the Hessian goes, there will be the new build, the body that uh, Christ has made. So Paul goes on from that to consider what he calls our troubles. Now we often talk about, think about troubles and sufferings as things which weigh us down. And to be truthful, they do. But Paul turns that whole metaphor on its head in verse 17. Look at the way he does it. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. If that had come from somebody who didn't know what troubles were, then you might think that's a very trite statement. But he, of course, did know exactly what troubles and suffering was like. And he encourages, declares to us, that compared to what God is doing for and in us, for all eternity, then our present troubles and sufferings are light and momentary. They are outweighed completely by eternal glory. So as we conclude uh, this passage... Paul urges us to fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. That seems a really uh, contradictory statement, doesn't it? I mean, fix your eyes on what you can't see? Sounds strange. But it is a beautiful paradox. The answer is that it is only by faith that you can see the things to come. By faith we see that our what our physical senses cannot comprehend. So Paul sees that he is being inwardly renewed and by faith he believes that he will be raised, brought into God's presence. And he has very good reasons, good evidence to believe that, but he still cannot yet see it. It is somehow disturbing, I think, but true, that all we see now is temporary. The National Trust uh, had this strapline once which said for everyone forever when I was thinking about that which is the sort of thing I do I, I thought actually that's not true on two counts it's only true for those who've got a National Trust card or can afford to get in <laughs> secondly you can, they can preserve it and good on them for doing so I am a member of the National Trust but nothing will last forever that we can see it's not forever. Science would appear to confirm that. Paul is only telling us something we already know. All that we see is temporary. But what he does give testimony to is what we now declare to us is that what we see by faith will be forever. God will create a new heaven, a new earth. He is already preparing it for us and us for it. And it's all based on this one trust, 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 truth. 
central truth, that God raised Jesus from the dead and will raise all who put their trust in him. If you want something, therefore, that is not temporary, then you need to come to God. Ask for the faith to see what is unseen. There is a beautiful and a deep irony here that the suffering and the human decay and death that are part of the realities of human existence, we cannot avoid them, although we often try very hard. That those very troubles themselves can be the cause of our fixing our eyes on what is unseen. Alison Krauss, in her song, There Must Be a Reason, this is one verse. Hurting brings my heart to you, a fortress in the storm. When what I wrap my heart around is gone, I give my heart so easily to the ruler of this world when the one who loves me most would give me all. Hurting brings my heart to you. Now, if in explaining this passage to you, this reflection of Paul on his ministry, I have made it too complicated, then forgive me. Because it is very simple in reality. As Paul told the jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Trust in him and you will find forgiveness and joy, as the jailer did. And you will begin to see what is unseen. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you for this glorious truth. And I pray that we would all come to see it, believe it, and see the things which are unseen. Amen.